Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. We are covering a hot new topic that we have never covered on Go Green Radio before. And in fact, uh, there are a lot of mainstream media folks that aren't really covering this. And it's it's a really big deal. Um, our recycling infrastructure depends upon being able to export much of our recyclable goods overseas. And just recently, um, China has cracked down on what they will and will not take. And they're calling this program National Sword. And today we're going to be joined by Zoe Heller. She's the Assistant Director for Policy Development at the California Department of Resources recycling and she's going to help us unpack this issue so that we can understand how this could impact our local recycling efforts so welcome to go green radio zoe so glad to have you on the show thanks jill it's great to be here So back in July of 2017, China evidently filed a document with the World Trade Organization that would ban four four classes and 24 kinds of solid waste, and they would no longer allow those things to be imported into their country. Help us understand what that document contained and precisely what China wanted to ban. Sure. So the July 2017 filing was an addition to the national sword policy that China had introduced in February. And this, this policy came in place as an effort to better regulate all of the imports coming into China. And this would include what they were calling foreign waste, what we often call here recyclable material. The notification to ban the 24 waste materials was then filed in July with the World Trade Organization, becoming effective at the end of the year. The materials banned included mixed paper, mixed plastics, and various metals and other materials that aren't traditionally part of our curbside programs here in the United States. In addition to the ban of these materials, China developed new standards for recyclables that they would still import. These apply to materials that are not covered by the ban, such as high-grade paper. Initially, a 0.3% contamination rate was proposed, which is extremely challenging, if not impossible, to meet. In November, China revised the standard to 0.5%, also very challenging to meet. Now, I keep using the term contamination, and I just want to clarify what that means. So if you think of a bale of cardboard, contamination in that bale could be things like labels, tape, or a greasy pizza box that got mixed in. So with that in mind, you can understand why this 0.5% would be pretty tough to meet. And also, as part of this overall policy, China limited their import licenses. So the ban of materials, the strict contamination standards, and the limit on import licenses are incredibly impactful to our global and domestic recycling markets. I'd say. Now, when you talk about import licenses, help us understand who that pertains to. How does that fit into our recycling system? I'm a little unclear. Sure. So that pertains to any entity in China that's importing these materials. So, you know, previously to the ban and previously to National Sword, these were issued readily throughout the country. With the restrictions on these, in fact, very few, if any, have been, have been um, issued since spring, then these entities have no way to import materials into China. This is all part of National Sword just to make sure that Um, The importers are importing only materials that are legal, only materials that are clean, so that 
you know, the global exporters aren't contributing to China's waste problem and also um, smuggling of materials that shouldn't be coming into the country. I see. Now, help us get some idea of the the scope of this issue in terms of the material that the U.S. was sending to China at the time that this uh, national sword was initiated. Roughly what percentage of our solid waste exports to China would have been impacted by that ban? And you talked about the ban going into effect by the end of the year. So that was pretty quick, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yes, that was that was very quick. So I'm, I can't speak to the U.S. as a whole, but I can speak to California. And as you know, a lot of materials leave California ports. Mm-hmm. So in 2016, 62% of the 15 million tons of recyclable materials exported from California were sent to China. Of these, 9 million tons um, of those materials were paper and 500,000 tons were plastics. So between the ban and the strict contamination standards, I would say um, the majority of those materials would be impacted. So although the ban didn't come into place until the turn of the year, the contamination standards don't officially come into place until March 1st. Um, we're, still, we're still seeing a pretty remarkable decrease in exports to China. So this is largely due to the increased inspections and the lack, lack of import licenses overall. Mm-hmm. Now, National Sword is a pretty aggressive name <laughs> for a program yeah. that deals with, <laughs> with recycling. What was China's motivation for this abrupt action? So in October, at China's 19th Annual Congress, President Xi Jinping and the Chinese government reaffirmed their commitment to clean up and preserve China's environment. This is a big priority overall for the current administration. In fact, in President Xi Jinping's speech, he mentioned the environment 89 times while the economy was only mentioned 70. In addition, Mm. in recent years, China's received some really bad press on the recycling industry. In 2016, a documentary film called Plastic China was released that showed incredibly poor conditions of plastic recycling operations in different areas of China. This film didn't go unnoticed by the Chinese government. It is partially, you know, this and just overall goal to clean up the environment has led to a national sword policy. Wow. Well, and I know that, you know, I've spent a good deal of time in China myself, and, and even as far back as 2007, you were starting to get, um, you know, everyday people kind of making noise about this. And a lot of people don't realize that that's even possible in China, but it is. And when there were public health concerns like melamine and milk and and other, you know, environmental contaminants, um, the populace really started to get rowdy, at least for by Chinese standards. Um, And so you can understand why their government wouldn't want 1.2 to 1.3 billion people to rise up because of the pollution that they were suffering from. So from that standpoint, it makes perfect sense. But for many Americans, this may be a little bit tough to wrap our heads around because I think for most people, you know, the, the best we can hope for is that they put their recycling in their recycling bin and then they really have no idea what happens next. And they may have heard the term single stream, but they don't have a clear understanding of how maybe their recycled water bottle or a, a piece of paper is actually recycled and put back into the manufacturing process. I'd love for you to talk us through the typical American, or in your case, the, the typical Californian 
recycling process so that we can understand why National Sword could really upend our process? Yeah, great question. And and this is very true and goes for most of our materials that we handle on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, as a consumer or as a resident, once we put these materials in our proper bin, we're under the impression that if we're putting them in our trash bin, they'll go to a hole in the ground forever. Or if we put them in our blue bin or our recycling bin, they'll come back to us our next purchase. As you mentioned, it's not that easy. So here in California, we have a very strong collect, sort, and export recycling market. And we're really, really good at these three things. What this means is that we have curbside recycling programs serving the majority of people that live in this state. So those are where you have a bin, you can put your recyclables in it, and a truck will come and pick them up and bring them to a facility. You had mentioned single stream, and this is where we take all of our recyclable materials and throw them into one bin. So that bin is then picked up, and it's oftentimes brought to a materials recovery facility, um, also referred to as a MRF. These materials are then processed at the MRF. So what that means is they, they go through different lines where they're sorted into the different categories of materials. Then we have the different categories that are then bailed up and then sent somewhere, oftentimes bought by somebody, where then they can get processed and remanufactured into a new material. Now, to give you a sense of what that looks like here in California, in 2016, we recycled 44% of our materials. Approximately a third of those recyclable materials were exported to overseas markets. So they went through the whole processing um, and sorting system at the MRF. They were bailed up, and then they were put on ships and exported. Um, another third were either source-reduced and recycled here domestically, and then the last third was um, organic waste that was processed either into compost or through an anaerobic digestion facility or turned into, into a um, mulch. So as you can see, the export of our recyclables is a key component to our recycling infrastructure, making up a third of it. So when the export markets are disrupted, so is our entire recycling system. Well, and it's interesting that we consider export infrastructure, because I think for a lot of people, infrastructure is something that's domestic, a a bridge, a levee, a school, you know, something like that, something we build here at home, and that's infrastructure. If we were to wave a magic wand and instantly convert our existing recycling system to one that would either help us comply with national sword so we could keep exporting, or... Uh, help us to deal with our recycling here at home, what would we have to change from the way we're doing things now to, in, you know, to, to reach that threshold of success with recycling? What we would have to do is wave our magic wand and overnight create a robust remanufacturing infrastructure here in the United States and then also have markets for those recyclable materials here. That's one thing. But equally important to that, we would also look upstream for solutions so we don't generate as much waste in the first place. So part of the problem is is that because we generate so many materials, we have to figure out how to handle them. Um, and if we were generating less, that would be less for us to overall have to manage. So in addition to conserving resources, waste, waste, pre- uh, excuse me, waste prevention has the potential to re- reduce our reliance overall on foreign markets. 
Mm-hmm. We don't need to export what we haven't generated. And I think that's a really important point to think about. I listened to your episode, um, I think it was a couple weeks back, Life Without Plastics, and the yeah. guest talked about the importance of source reduction. So that's what I'm talking about here. So, you know, simple choices like bringing a reusable mug to a coffee shop or a reusable bottle of water to the gym instead of choosing a single-use disposable option can lead to far less generation of materials. So by pairing these upstream strategies with robust processing and manufacturing infrastructure, we could get a lot closer to a solution for this problem. Mm -hmm. How quickly this change could happen depends on a number of factors, and it will certainly be iterative over time. But if we continue to prioritize the three R's that we've been talking about in the recycling world for years, reduce, reuse, recycle, I think we can get there. Yeah, and what you emphasize, Zoe, is really important for our listeners to take to heart because, you know, on the one hand, we have this idea that there's a government solution for everything, build more infrastructure or, you know, uh, do something with policy that, that makes it all go away. But really, what you're emphasizing is the fact that each and every one of us has a role to play in in helping to make our system work. And I I think that's exceptionally important and something that we talk about on Go Green Radio all the time. Yes, there is a role for government and public policy to play, but not to the extent that we're all off the hook. (laughs) And so with that, we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we'll have much, much more with Zoe Heller discussing national sort. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Today, we're talking about National Sword, which is a brand new program, a ban, in fact, that China has placed on imported solid waste materials. And it is so strict and it is happening so fast that it is really causing a tremendous ripple effect throughout our country's waste management system. And we're here today joined by Zoe Heller. Uh, She is with Cal Recycle. And California, being right on the coast, um, is kind of at the spearhead of of dealing with a lot of the ban and, and the implications that National Sword has on our ability to export solid waste materials. So, Zoe, 
When China filed this document back in July of 2017 with the WTO, did our federal government respond in any way? And if so, how did they respond? So just recently, in fact, two weeks ago, Senators Weinstein, I'm sorry, Feinstein and Wyden sent a letter to the Chinese ambassador asking China to develop a multi-year transition plan for its new scrap import policies with attainable contamination levels. And this was in direct response to what our government, what the senators are hearing from the states. We really need more time and to have a system in place to be able to overall address this policy. The letter expressed that U.S. exporters have been working to reduce contamination levels since 2013 out of respect to China's environmental concerns. It noted that American recyclers maintain some of the lowest contamination rates in the world and are therefore capable of supporting China's goal of sustainable, environmentally friendly manufacturing. You know, one of the points that the senators are trying to make is that we understand the rationale behind National Sword, and we want to be good players. We want to contribute to a clean, green economy in China. But the way the policy is coming down, it's making it very, very challenging for us to comply and therefore to continue to send China our materials. So in addition to that, the U.S. Embassy has also met with China's Ministry of Environmental Protection in Beijing to further discuss the matter. And I'm sure that these meetings will continue to go on. Now, besides a a government response, did the recycling and solid waste professionals and the organizations that represent them here in the U.S. respond to China? What, What action did they take? So they have responded. And in fact, they've been incredible spokespersons um, overall for all of us that are impacted by the ban. So the three that have responded so far are the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries, also known as ISRI, the National Waste and Recycling Association, and the Solid Waste Association of North America, also known as SWANA, um, some of who have, have submitted multiple letters at this point. And Mm -hmm. in their letters, um, in their comments overall, they expressed three major things. The first is more specificity in the guidelines. The second is concern at how the rules might disrupt global recycling markets. And the third is, you know, also what we heard in the, in the letter from our, our representatives is a delay in implementation of the import regulations so that we can work towards meeting these, these contamination standards, the 0.5%. Israel officials said they support the Chinese government strategy to improve the environment and encourage sustainable recycling. However, they're concerned that the draft standards, if implemented, will lead to extensive disruptions in the global supply chains because the proposed standards are not in line with globally recognized specifications. So despite all of that, in January, the standards were published unchanged. One other point that I want to add is that the Solid Waste Association of North America, back in October, sent out a letter to all the state agencies with recommendations on how to deal with China's policy, which was really helpful in getting us all on the same page in working with our stakeholders. So those recommendations included things like communicate with everybody impacted in your state about the policy, educate stakeholders on the importance of generating high-quality materials, and encourage waste reduction and the development of alternative markets in your state if possible. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a lot to 
do in just about six months. <laughs> that's that's an incredible to do list. Um, yeah. Now, how how did U.S. companies who produce plastic and paper and other disposable commodities respond? Was there an an industry response? Well. Not quite yet. So the manufacturers are, of course, watching this all very closely. Changes in global recycling markets impact the cost of scrap materials. So the more expensive scrap becomes, the less competitive it can be with virgin materials and vice versa. This can really impact how much, how much investment there is in recycled materials going into new products. So, but more material ending up here can mean more opportunities for domestic manufacturing. In one instance, we heard that the price of mixed paper dropped from $80 a ton to $20 a ton in the span of one quarter. So that's a big drop in a quarter. So U.S. paper mills may benefit from the shift if they can use the material, although, although that could have adverse effects on higher-grade recyclable fiber. The system is interconnected, and it's going to take us some time to establish a new normal. And also, time will tell as the new restrictions start driving price changes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't seen any responses from, you know, entities that I'm aware of, like the, the beverages associations and Carton Council and some of the others. And I am hoping to see some just because I think that their materials certainly will be, you know, part of part of the, the program here. Um what is the current status of China's enforcement of national sword? I mean, for instance, if a U.S. entity ships a load to China that's too contaminated to be received under the guidelines of national sword, what happens? What, what happens next? So, in that instance, the entire shipment will be sent back. For example, one contaminated bale could lead to hundreds of bales in the same shipment being rejected. So, all it takes is one. Wow. This in and of itself is another reason we're seeing um, a pretty significant decrease in exports from California. Holy cow. So let me get this straight. If you're sending hundreds of bales of, let's say, paper, and there's mm-hmm. one bale that's got a greasy pizza box in with it because somebody thought, hey, it's made out of cardboard. I can put that in with, you know, to be recycled. That could send the whole shipment around? Well, if those greasy pizza boxes take up more than 0.5%. But yes, that is my understanding. And then do they charge us? I mean, like, is there a fee associated with turning the ship around? Well, essentially what ends up happening is um, the exporter who's exporting those materials has taken a major risk because they're not going to get paid for that shipment. Ah, okay. It's... Um, a huge financial risk for exporters. So it's incredibly important that those bales are of high enough quality if they're willing to export them um, to make sure that they receive payment. Yeah, you know, this kind of reminds me, I took some students on a field trip of a local transfer station over the summer, and, and they were beginning to talk about this. They didn't talk about national sword, but they were telling the students that it was really getting difficult to export the materials that they were bailing and they were bailing plastic and aluminum and paper. And they talked about this issue of contamination and they mentioned that at one point, uh, you know, they had an exporter that was on the coast and a shipment came back and they were charged $10,000 uh, because oh, wow. of the contamination. And that's one local 
MRF, you know, a material recovery facility. That's that's pretty huge. It's hard to stay in business uh, if you've got to absorb too many of those fines. So that's, you know, that's really something that people need to understand, particularly at the individual consumer you know, side, because we have to remember that if we put contaminants into our recycling bin, we can really, really mess up our, our system. But we'll get to a little bit more of that in a minute. But I remember back in 2013, when China imposed green fence, that was a precursor to national sword. And facilities in the U.S. started storing materials on site. And there were fire hazards and, you know, a lot of permitting problems that you know, came along with all of that storage. Is that happening now, Zoe? Talk to us about what's happening to materials that that can't be moved. Great question. So I don't have too much information on that at this time, but we have heard that some of our facilities here in California are storing materials on site for longer periods of time. So California has a system in place where our jurisdictions have local enforcement agencies, um, and those local enforcement agencies are essentially delegated authority for permitting and and enforcement um, within their their jurisdictions. So the local enforcement authorities are aware of China's new policies and are working with their facilities within their jurisdiction. they're reviewing permits. Um, they're ensuring that that the facilities are operating safely. Um, sometimes, in the case of stockpiling, is happening. So, storing materials, especially paper, for long periods of time, can really damage those materials to the point where they're no longer viable for markets. Mm-hmm. So, what happens then is those materials do end up going to disposal. Um, also. As you can imagine, there's limited warehousing space just about anywhere for storage of these materials. So ultimately, if materials can't, get, can't be moved, they're going to have to find some sort of management option, and that could look like, you know, landfills at this point. Yeah. And, you know, in California, it's not like we want to build a bunch of landfills, even though we have the space. But on the East Coast, they're, they don't have that luxury. I mean, I, I work with some... Uh, some municipalities in New Jersey, for instance, and, you know, they used to have hundreds of landfills, and now they're down to under 20 in the whole state. And so being able to, you know, just ah, forget it, we won't recycle for now, we'll just send everything to the landfill really isn't an option. And, uh, and that is, is certainly going to cause some, some difficulties. Do you foresee California having to make you know, long-term plans to expand landfills? I mean, I know that nobody wants to think about that, but but is there any talk of what we'll do if this goes on? Well, I'm optimistic that we are going to figure out a solution to manage these materials that we're no longer able to export. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of strategizing, and it's going to take commitment from, you know, all stakeholders that handle these materials throughout their life cycle. But I'm confident that we're going to figure something out. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that there is a business opportunity here. If this goes on much longer, um, you know, I'm aware that some companies got together to create what's called the closed loop fund. And I think Walmart and Unilever and P&G and some other big companies are involved in that. And it's all about trying to help uh, you know, get some startups going that would provide domestic opportunities for, you know, 
processing these materials, well, not processing, actually getting them back into the manufacturing process. And so between private efforts like that, you know, and other uh, public policy that might encourage uh, these these types of businesses to start much like we saw, you know, a few years ago when the when the solar roofs initiative was going on in California and that really jump started a lot of solar startups. Um, I'm hoping that you're exactly right, Zoe. I'm I'm optimistic as well. Now we've got so much more to talk about with Zoe, so I don't want you to go away, folks. We've got a lot more coming after this commercial break. And if you want to check out a website that that Zoe actually was uh, helpful in putting together. CalRecycle is where you want to go and CalRecycle has a page on National Sword and you can just Google that and check it out. There's some really great links on that page. But we'll be right back after this commercial break with more Go Green Radio, so stay tuned. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm glad that you could all tune in. If you like what you hear, that's awesome. And actually, that's only a sliver of what we do. Go Green Radio is a part of a much bigger organization. Back in 2002, I formed the Go Green Initiative, which is the global leader in environmental education. We help schools do two things. It's been the same since the beginning, hasn't changed. The first is conserve natural resources for future generations. And the second is to protect children's health from environmental pollutants. So if you'd like to get involved, everything we do is free. We'd love to have you as a part of our online community and a part of some of the live events we do. Go to www.gogreeninitiative.org and get involved with us. We're we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're a little bit of everywhere, so we'd love to have you on board. If you're just tuning in, our guest today is Zoe Heller, and she is the Assistant Director for Policy Development at the California Department of Resources Recycling, also known as CalRecycle. And we're talking today about National SWORD, which is a pretty new program that China has recently implemented, really cracking down on the amount of solid waste materials, essentially a lot of our recycling that we've been exporting so that those materials could get back into the manufacturing process. So Zoe, let's pick up where we left off. How are 
material recovery facilities, or MRFs, in the United States and other processing facilities attempting to reduce contamination during their processing so that they can comply with the national sword? They're doing quite a bit. So they're implementing some new practices and modifying existing procedures to overall improve quality of materials. The first thing that they're doing is slowing down their sorting line at the facility. This helps them remove as many contaminants as possible as materials are going down the line. The second thing that they're doing is we're hearing that they're hiring more sorters. The more people that they have on the line that are able to sort by hand, the better quality they'll have at the end of the day. And then the third thing that they're doing is they're running recyclables down the line multiple times. So they'll run them once, they'll get as many contaminants out as possible, they'll sort to the best of their abilities, but regardless, they're going to miss a few things. So they run them again where they're able to double-check their work, essentially. So all this is to improve their processing and their quality overall. Another strategy that we've heard some MRFs are doing is they're breaking apart and examining finished bales to determine which materials were inappropriately included in the bales. So this means, you know, you have a bale of of cardboard. Um, They'll randomly select one, pull it apart, and make sure that everything in there is truly cardboard. So what this can do is help understand if some of their their, um, sorting equipment needs calibrating or if they need to educate their line sorters to overall improve bail quality. That sounds expensive <laughs> because yeah. uh, that, that is not the, the typical day's work at a transfer station. That sounds pretty expensive. And I would imagine that if that has to continue, we may see some rates you know, increase, but we'll talk about that in just a second. I just want to put a plug out there to all of our listeners. Um, you know, most of our materials do go to MRFs uh, for most of us in populated areas in the United States. And I have a neighbor who works the line at my local transfer station. And let me just say, some of the things that he has to put his hands into to remove these contaminants from what's supposed to be recycling only (laughs) is pretty awful. And there have actually been uh, people who've been hurt, not necessarily, you know, at my local MRF, but at others. Uh, We hear stories in the industry of people getting uh, pricked with needles, getting cut by glass, um, and certainly some pretty nasty things like baby diapers and things like that going into recycling containers because people run out of room in their trash containers. So, I'm going to put a plug out there for for the human dignity of all of our workers on these lines to please everybody keep your recycling as clean and uncontaminated as you possibly can. Now, Zoe, you know you work for CalRecycle, our state government. Um, how has the state of California responded to National Sword? You mentioned the the website that we recently launched, so. As part of that website, where we established a clearinghouse for information. We want to make sure that our stakeholders have a one-stop shop where they can go get the latest, see the letters and the memos that have been sent out, etc. So on top of our website, we've also sent out memos to local enforcement agencies um, and jurisdictions. The letters to the local enforcement agencies address the need for solid waste facilities to store more processed recyclable materials on site for longer times. And as part of that memo is a guidance in the flexibility that the local enforcement agencies have in issuing permits um, that may allow for this additional storage. 
We also sent those memos to jurisdictions. The juris- those memos included background on China's policy, and we also shared information regarding how jurisdictions are responding through different initiatives, whether it be waste prevention, education to reduce contamination, or how to overall improve collection. We also included some opportunities for state assistance in the letter that looks like both grants that we have under our greenhouse gas reduction fund and also some loans that are for remanufacturing within the state. So those are a couple of the things that, that we've done in response. But then we have some ongoing initiatives that we've, we've taken on to reduce um, our state's waste overall that are, that are related to the materials addressed in the ban. So the first initiative that I'd like to mention is um, our packaging reform initiative that we're, we're undergoing right now. So packaging is about a quarter of California's waste stream, and wow. we're developing a policy recommendation for managing all packaging statewide to decrease disposal of packaging waste overall. That recommendation will be released in the next couple of months. And our second initiative that I wanted to mention is an aggressive target to reduce organics in landfill. Under State Bill 1383, we're required to divert 75% of organics from landfill by 2025. So you might ask, how is this, how does this relate to National Sword? Well, in part of this effort, we're seeking to reduce contamination of all recycling streams. Um, what this might look like is something like source-separated organics so that, you know, food waste and things like that won't be in the same bin as, as paper or other recyclable materials. Um, so these are a couple initiatives that we have going on right now that we hope will address some of the materials that we were previously exporting. Fantastic. Sounds like a very well thought through plan. And I love the idea, again, of the loans and the government programs that encourage uh, businesses to get involved in this and create some of that new uh, infrastructure that might help us create domestic markets for these materials. On your website, um, there are some stories about how local jurisdictions in California are responding to National Sword. So I'd love for you to share some of those stories with us. Um, The website references San Jose, Mid-Valley Disposal, and a Central Coast haulers uh, work with schools. So tell us some good stories. Yeah, so we've heard a lot from our jurisdictions on things that they're doing that are either directly related to National Sword or things that they've been doing for quite some time just to overall, you know, increase um, the quality of the materials that they're collecting and reduce contamination. Um, So, for example, they're providing new educational materials um, to their constituents that are more specific as to what materials residents and businesses can place in the recycling bins. So, for a long time, um, you'd often hear the phrase, when in doubt, recycle. Well, with National Sword and with us cleaning up our recycling stream overall, that's not necessarily the case anymore. So jurisdictions are taking it upon themselves to say, okay, this is what can go in your recycling bin. And then, you know, educating their constituents to make sure that people are well aware of, of what's appropriate to put in the recycling bin. Um, mm-hmm. Another... Related to this, um, as they're revisiting what's allowable in the recycling programs, um, they're working closely with their material recycling facilities, haulers, et cetera, to make sure that they're, they're all on the same page and sharing information as to which materials can be collected, which materials they're finding markets for, et cetera. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing that jurisdictions are doing is um, they're working with their, their haulers and their collection drivers to recognize contamination and investing on onboard cameras to assist with identification of that contamination. And then another solution is establishing, in some cases, single commodity collection programs when and where appropriate. So, for example... Um, High-quality paper is something that's very easy to contaminate. You get a little bit of food on a piece of white paper, and it's not necessarily as recyclable as it was initially. So office buildings can have separate collection for white paper. Um, Another thing that we're seeing is separate food waste collection so that that food waste isn't contaminating materials and color-sorted glass collection. So jurisdictions are doing quite a bit. We're hearing a lot on the ground, and we just encourage jurisdictions to continue to share with one another or to the extent that entities like us, like state agencies, can share those success stories so other local governments can pick them up. Mm-hmm. Those are great stories and, and great lessons learned. It's good to share those so that we don't all have to reinvent the wheel in every municipality. It sounds like the people who work on the back end of our waste management system are really working hard to deal with National Sword. But I'm wondering about the front end. Um, here on Go Green Radio, we've talked about extended producer responsibility many, many times. And in your view, Zoe, what should producers of the materials that are found in our waste stream be doing to help the U.S. respond to National sword. So agreed. Front-end management of materials is critical to addressing the impacts of national sort. So producer responsibility paired with other policy tools is one approach that could be used to ensure that materials brought into the marketplace are then collected and recycled. And these sorts of programs are often most effective when the manufacturer takes financial responsibility for the success of the program. So as mentioned earlier, CalRecycle is currently developing a statewide policy framework for managing packaging waste. Back in October, we released a background paper highlighting policy tools that could be used to manage packaging. And these ranged quite a bit from source reduction to minimum recycled content requirements to producer responsibility. Producer responsibility can include many forms of involvement by product manufacturers. But what we really need is all stakeholders, including manufacturers, to take a look at their current programs and see what they can do to be part of the overall solution. That could look like extended producer responsibility or it could look like something else. We just really need everybody at the table here paying attention. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I think that there are several, well, I know in California, there are several entities that, that work on this. I love going to CRRA, California Resource Recovery Association um, con- conferences, because you see a lot of those folks there who are really working hard uh, on EPR um, initiatives. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much, much more with Zoe Heller. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. In case you just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Zoe Heller with Cal Recycle, and we're talking about National Sword, which is a new program that uh, China has just recently put in place that bans a good deal of the solid waste exports and recycling materials that the U.S. has been sending their way for quite some time. Zoe, there are a lot of Americans whose jobs depend upon a robust market for recyclables. If we can't sell our recycling to China, what kind of economic impact might that have on U.S. workers? Jill, as you said earlier, really a solution here is to build up our recycling remanufacturing infrastructure in the United States to process these materials. If we do that, we're looking at new jobs. And in fact, in an attempt to meet the strict contamination standards, we're already seeing materials recovery facilities bringing on more employees to overall improve quality of their materials. So we've got to build up our processing and remanufacturing capacity here domestically to deal with this issue. And with those facilities will come jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said in the last segment made me think, you know, you talked about uh, the producer's responsibilities. I can't help but think about, you know, consumer responsibilities. And of course, it's our waste haulers and our, our material uh, resource recovery facilities that are right smack in the middle of all that. Um, it's really going to take a combined effort to finance that infrastructure. And so I think that's something that I really want to get out there during this episode to everybody is that, you know, it it isn't free. <laughs> Recycling, waste hauling, you know, all the components of waste management aren't free. And when, you know, we are heavily reliant upon a foreign entity for, for a majority of our solution to, you know, recycling our materials, and they change the rules of the game, this is what happens. And so, you know, if, if we fail to, to do that, if we fail to ramp up our recycling infrastructure, Zoe, what is the outlook? Are we destined to landfill a bunch of materials and natural resources that will be lost to the manufacturing process? Well, we've got a couple of options here. We know that other countries are increasing their recycling infrastructure to accept foreign recyclable imports. For example, Vietnam and Taiwan have significantly increased their corrugated cardboard imports. So that's great, but it's not enough to move the needle yet. And even as other countries are increasing their imports, China sent a strong signal that globally we need to clean up our recycling stream. So if we don't do anything in the U.S., I think you're absolutely right we're going to start seeing materials that don't have markets going to landfill. And this brings up a significant question for us all. We know that certain materials have markets here on the West Coast, like PET bottles. That'll be your, you know, everyday disposable water bottle. But how do we approach materials that don't have markets? If they're going to be destined for disposal, what are our other options? So I don't have answers to these questions. They are important to consider as we move away from this collect, sort, export recycling infrastructure. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and it, it begs the question, I mean, and this is purely the layman approach, but if we're using things that are supposedly recyclable, but there's no market for them, they're not really recyclable. I mean, things are only recyclable if there's some place to send them so that they can be turned into something new. And just because there's an arrow with a number on the bottom of your product doesn't necessarily mean that in your local area or your state or now our country that we have a market for that. And I think that we really have to start getting smart about those kinds of issues so that maybe we don't purchase things that are contained in a a packaging that isn't really recyclable because there's no actual market for it. Um, Zoe, where do you think the funding to upgrade our recycling infrastructure is going to come from? I don't know what it's like in your town, but in my town, there's one issue that is guaranteed to bring out everybody who is on a fixed retirement income and they vote. So people listen to them. They come out to city council meetings to, prote- to protest um, garbage rate increases, and that happens every single time. How hopeful are you that the necessary upgrades are going to come from local ratepayers who agree to invest in new processing capability? So overall, funding to upgrade our recycling infrastructure can come from a number of places. As mentioned, the state of California has some limited resources to invest in recycling infrastructure development but it's not enough. I can't say where funding is going to come from, but it will depend on how committed we are to build infrastructure and find markets for these materials. The challenge necessitates a shared responsibility by many entities. They include the state, jurisdictions, haulers, recyclers, businesses, manufacturers, and residents. Depending on commodity prices and decisions at the local jurisdiction, whether or not local rate change Local rates change is only one of the many options for funding domestic infrastructure. But with that said, I'm very hopeful that when local rate payers are well informed on this shared responsibility, how these various entities are contributing, particularly if certain entities start contributing more, how the costs are being shared, and as well as the benefits to their community, that they will support their elected officials in decisions that they make about rate increases. Well, and I think that that's only going to happen if people really understand how all this works. I'm kind of amazed. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm geeky about municipal solid waste issues. I've been watching, you know, what's been going on for years. And I don't expect everybody in town to have the same, you know, level of interest. But to not even realize how you know, how your local systems work is really to be at the mercy of those who, you know, will will tell you what you need to do. And I don't think that people are willing to, to raise rates for services unless they understand fully why that's necessary. And I think what you said earlier is so important and we need to kind of underscore this. If, if you guys could see me right now, if my listeners could see me, I'm underscoring with my finger. This is not something that can be solved just at the back end. It, it depends on like what Zoe told us early in the show, what we actually purchase and dispose of. If we're not purchasing and if we're not disposing of as much, this is a far less severe problem. So it's up to those of us who are consuming these materials to decide what we're going to purchase and what we're going to dispose of. And that's that's just monumentally important. So, Zoe, what 
from your perspective, is the message to everyday Americans about recycling at this point? What do you think people ought to know about where we're headed? And if there's some post-recycling solution that might be even better, where are we headed? So I don't think there's a better post-recycling solution. I honestly think this is a wake-up call, that we need to pay attention to our recycling infrastructure. We can't just collect and sort and export. We really need to support these in-state markets and manufacturing to utilize these commodities. You know, we're generating them. Let's use them here. What we get in return for this investment is that we make our economy more efficient and less reliant on fluctuating global markets, and we don't diminish our natural resources. Recycling is always going to be an important materials management method in California and throughout the United States. As mentioned, waste prevention is the best solution to pair with recycling, but at the end of the day, we want to look at the highest and best use of a material. When we dispose a material, we lose all of that material's embedded value. That includes the water, the greenhouse gas emissions, and the other environmental um, impacts associated with the manufacturing of that material. If we can bring that material back into the commodity stream, that is almost always a better option than disposing. In addition, expanding recycling manufacturing throughout the state will reduce greenhouse gas emissions um, from reducing waste disposed in landfills. There's so many benefits to recycling. Jobs, health, lower energy and fuel costs, the myriad of environmental benefits. Increasing recycling manufacturing has a direct and positive impact on job creation. I really want to stress the importance of that. And then also the increased revenues from sales of products, including recycled content paper, cardboard, compost, and renewable gas supports our economy. Absolutely. Zoe, I want to thank you so much for being on Go Green Radio today. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us as well. This is a big deal. Folks, um, this is something that, as Zoe said, is a wake-up call. And you know what? Here in America, we can do this. We can do this better than, you know, than we have other options besides exporting everything overseas. These are valuable commodities that will come right back to us in the materials that we purchase. And we could put some people to work in making them uh, new and giving them new life and and conserving natural resources. Um, So I want to thank Zoe for joining us. I want to thank all of you for joining us on Go Green Radio. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.